everybody. To turn and say goodbye to our kids who are heading out and our junior hires. Right on. Man, um, I'm excited to open up Psalm 124 to you, and I've enjoyed this uh, Summer in the Psalm series. I hope that you have as well. Um, but as we, we get into it, I wanted to just share with you a couple of thoughts before, um, before that. Scott had mentioned the faithfulness and giving, and, um, and it, it affords us the opportunity to support things that are going on around us in our community, whether it's Fairhaven Elementary School or um, today, where... Uh, Right down the street at Refuge, there's some of our guys that we prayed over last week who will be taking a busload of, of kids from the foster system um, to a camp experience that's going to blow their minds. So some of these kids um, have never had a birthday party, for example, and they're going to all, every single one of them is going to get a birthday party. It's a weekend where it's yes to everything, where it's one-on-one counselor to student, um, yeah, ice cream for dinner and the whole nine yards. It's just going to be awesome for them. And so uh, if you're around today at 1.30 and you want to, we're going to send them off here in our parking lot as the buses go up. Um, to a, They keep everything confidential because of the sensitivity of the time, but um, the buses are going to head up to their campground, and they're going to have an awesome time. That's one thing. Second thing is, uh, how many of you are familiar with Young Life? Young Life? Yeah, Young Life is a campus ministry that's on high schools and uh, colleges here in our city and beyond. And the thing I, I love about Young Life, the statement that Lydia, who's a missionary with Young Life, um, she said that we don't expect high schoolers to come to us, we go to them. So we don't want the high schoolers to have an awkward experience by coming into maybe a setting they're not used to. We want to be the ones that have the awkward experience by going into their setting. So they go to their football games. They go to their band recitals. They, they just go and, and share the love of God and, and build relationship with these students. And so the culmination of the Young Life experience is a, is a summer camp that they go to. Um, Young Life has got some crazy cool properties in different places uh, here in California. Um, I'm talking zip lines and water parks and all kinds of good, good clean fun. And so uh, we were able, as a congregation, to help send several students. Um, they had a deficit in their in their fundraising, and it was really cool to have the meeting with Lydia, and just, and she said, well, here's the number that we need. Can you maybe sponsor a student or two? And we said, we'll take five. She's like, five's the whole number, you know? So it was just awesome, and I, I share that not in a boastful way, but I share that in a way of boasting in the Lord, that this is why he provides, so that kids can hear the gospel. So the... Um, the, the whole point of the camp is that the relationship's built up to this point, and now they'll get to go and hear about Jesus. And so these guys are coming back now. It's Sunday, so they left on Friday, and um, so they're on their way back, I think. Um, maybe they have a couple more days, but either way, we can pray for both, right? God knows the timeline. So can we just take a moment, and let's pray for, um, for these young people, these students that have the opportunity to hear the gospel. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in our midst, God. Thank you for the opportunity to share um, the good news of the gospel. Lord, thank you for missionaries that are, are doing the work, and uh, we bless them, God. I, I pray blessing over Lydia as she has her group of high schoolers along with the volunteer staff that are away in the mountains, and I, I pray that the seeds that have been sown into these young people, God, would, would just begin to grow, Lord, that they would say yes to you and walk in relationship with you. Lord, we thank you for Royal Family Kids Camp and the, the beauty of just showing unconditional love to children who have been neglected and often abused. 
God, I pray that this time would be a time that's bathed in your grace. For all those that volunteer, give them like God-like patience, Lord, that you would impart your patience to them. Your love would spill out of them. And God, many um, of those children, all of them, Lord, would experience your goodness and they would, they would know you. God, they would know they have a heavenly Father who loves them unconditionally. So God, I thank you and I praise you for the good things you're doing in our community in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So Psalm 124, if you would open your Bibles there with me. And then as we're looking in terms of background, um, I thought Pastor Andy did an excellent job last week just reminding us of what this journey was all about. These Psalms of Ascents were 15 Psalms that led um, the children of Israel as they were making their journey from wherever they landed. That you know these are a people who were dispersed in many locations uh, in different time periods as well. Um, These Psalms would be used as they make their way up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem for them was like going to big church. If you grew up in church, there was like you go to church and then you go to big church, right? When you're a kid. Jerusalem to them was going to big church. It was going to that place where they were reminded three times a year. That's all Jewish people, all the Hebrews, the the Israelites were reminded of things. One, they were reminded um, that God created them. And they did this through feasts. They did this through um, various things that that would tell and, and spread the story to the children. They were reminded that God had redeemed them. They were reminded that God had provided for them. And they were ultimately reminded that God forgave their sins and allowed them to live without shame. So each time they came to these feasts, there was animal sacrifice, there was atonement that was happening for their sin. Three times a year, it coincided with the, um, the, the harvest calendar or the, the agrarian calendar. And as we remember the, the three feasts, one, Passover. Passover reminded them of God's protection and deliverance. The Feast of Weeks reminded of God's provision through the summer harvest. And the Feast of Booths reminded them of God's faithfulness. The Booths is my favorite one. I just think that must have been so cool as a kid growing up and taking the journey and you build, it's like camping, right? It's like you, you build the, the little structure and you tell the stories to your kids and you live in it for a week and you're, you're reminded that God provided even in the wilderness. How many of you can say that you feel like you're in the wilderness sometimes? It's okay, you, you got friends around you. That God's faithfulness is there for you and he provides. And, uh, and, I, and I got to i got to imagine that that was an exciting time. So all these feasts um, remind us of the very things that we know every day in Christ. Every day in Christ, we know that, that God created us. We know that God redeemed us. We know that he provides for us. And ultimately, we know that he forgives us and he frees us from our shame. And that's something to celebrate all the time. And when that gospel message lives alive and vibrantly in us, it can't help but spill out normally um, in, in conversations. It, it's a part of who we are. It's a part of what we celebrate. So this Psalm 124 is another psalm about God helping in the midst of danger. And um, Eugene Peterson calls it um, help in the time of hazard, right? So it's that he he tells the story of himself uh, in this book that I was mentioning to you guys. It's called Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And he tells the, the story about going to give blood once a year and as he gives blood, um, they ask a series of questions. You've done that before? They ask you a bunch of stuff? Yeah? Everybody good? Are you awake? Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, so he, they, they, ask him, they ask him these questions, and they, you know, one of the questions is, do you do hazardous work? And he said, yes. And, and he had a clerical collar on while he asked, answered the question. 
And, and the lady goes, oh, like she thought he was being silly, you know, like, oh, like you, you're working the ministry. And he goes, it's not because I'm a pastor that I do hazardous work. It's like we as followers of God are in a hazardous situation, right? That yes, salvation brings us peace, love, joy, and hope and all of those things. But the very real reality of being called to a life of obedience has with it very real dangers. Are you with me? So it's no wonder that these guys are reminded as they sing their playlist, right? These 15 songs that become familiar to them. It's no wonder that they're reminded, danger is out there, but you have a deliverer, that you have hope, that you have one who is your help. And so let me read this psalm in its entirety, and then we'll break it down a little bit and hopefully apply some things to this present moment that we're in. Psalm 124, starting in verse 1. I love the way that it starts. It says, If it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, let Israel say now, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, when the people rose up against us, they would have swallowed us alive. I'm going to keep reading it, but I have to just jump in and say, this is a psalm that's like when we all sit together and go, man, if God wasn't there when X happened, I would be here, right? That those moments where you go through something and you reflect back on it and you're like, what would I have done if God hadn't intervened? And so David begins by doing this and he calls the nation into it. It says, if, if the Lord had not been on our side when people rose up against us, they would have swallowed us alive. Now listen to the imagery. When their anger was kindled against us, the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. And then over us would have gone raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey into their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. I like some of the other translations. Many translations says our souls have escaped. The fullness of who we are have escaped from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken. We have escaped. And then this final verse. I love this. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. I think what this psalm does for us in, in our time and certainly for them as they were reminded three times a year singing the song, um, certainly the, the hope of, of who God was in their lives sometimes slips away. You know, for us, it can happen week by week. Like, that's why I think our gatherings are so important. Like, this is, there's a reason we sing the songs of God's faithfulness and we consistently go through Scripture. Because we have all these other days in the week where we're walking through the muck and the mire of this world. And as Pastor Scott said during our announcement time, we're just fed so many lies over and over again and told, no, no, seriously, it's the truth. It's okay. You can believe something totally different than God's Word. And it, be, it begins to like fatigue you until you come into God's presence in a place where you can go, okay, I'm held by his grace. I'm with the people of God. I'm strengthened together so that I can go through those double doors and head out back into a mission field that awaits me. And so as we read this, we realize that it's a reframing of, of, a, of a word, of a statement that we often hear of where was God? Like where was God in that? And it flips that around and said, if God wasn't there, imagine. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's so many ways to look at any given situation. And, and there's a tendency that we can have as humans to just focus on the negative of a situation. 
We can also focus on trying to give answers to questions that we don't have the answers to. I'm not going to do that here in my time that I have with you. I, I'm not a philosopher. I can't, I can't answer the question of where God was in certain situations outside to know that his word says he was there. And this begins to ask a new question, a new question of, if he wasn't on our side, can you even imagine? And so um, we read on and, and you see the, the realities of it through this first verse. If he hadn't been on our side, let Israel now say, if he hadn't been, if the Lord hadn't been on our side, when the people rose up against us. I want you to think about the author. This, not all of these psalms are, are attributed to King David, the author of many psalms, but this particular one is. And so as, as you think about who David is, you think about one who is acquainted with leadership, like so he knew what it was like to be the king. He knew what it was like to work really hard. And he knew what it was like to engage in battle. So he had a pretty good understanding of human nature. He could read the room, right? He understood what people were capable of. Imagine his own journey. Like the, I love it. I was reflecting back on 1 Samuel 17 in that area when David goes and visits his brothers on the battlefield. He's just going to bring, you know, like Uber Eats to them from their dad. And, and he shows up and his, his older brothers just like start getting like, what are you doing here, dude? Like they're basically, if you read it, it's, you, you can kind of hear the older brother in there going, what, who's taking care of all those little sheep? Like there's a, even this uh, insult, like you only have a couple sheep, like who's taking care of them right now? And the only reason you're here, man, you just want to check out the battle. And he's like, I'm just doing what dad said, right? I'm just coming to bring you the food. So he understands on, on this level of what it's like to be alone, working out in the fields. He understands what solitude is like. He understands what insults are like. He understands what, you know, this, this is the one for me. Like, when you're out there doing all that stellar shepherd work, when you're, like, killing wild animals that are out to get the sheep, there's, like, no one watching. You know, there were no cell phones. He couldn't be like, check me killing the bear right now, right? There, there was no post on it. Like, he just, he did all these things as a young man, And then he's anointed as king. You know his story. He's anointed as king, but not yet. (laughs) How many of you have been in that situation, whether it's in your job, whether it's in ministry or whatever, where you feel the promise of God? Maybe in the workplace, it feels more like a dangling carrot. Like if you stick around, um, there's something great for you, you know, and you just keep following the carrot and you end up in the same position. Certainly, David must have felt like that as he's anointed the king of Israel and then Saul goes batty, and he ends up playing the harp for him to just soothe the evil spirit that was tormenting Saul. So I'm just giving you a picture of what you already know. This is the guy who's writing the psalm. I think he understands culture. I think he understands society. I think he understands human nature. And through those lenses, he's going, yeah, can you imagine if God wasn't on our side? Come on, everybody, imagine it with me. That's how he's calling the nation together. And what he's going to do is begin to reframe their experience to see where God was, not where God wasn't. And we see it um, modeled, I think, in, uh, in the way that David himself approached probably the most significant battle, uh, one of the most significant battles, and it's kind of defined who he was, that when he showed up with those Uber Eats for his brothers, you know what was happening, right? That was the moment where a gigantic human named Goliath, was insulting the people of God. And an entire, and, and, and mind you, 
Um, you, you've heard stories, of the story of David and Goliath. It reads like a storybook, and so we can have a tendency to go, oh, you know, it's like a fable. But if you look at the actual dynamics of the story, it wasn't just a large man, Goliath, who was there. <clears throat> Excuse me. There was an entire Philistine army that was there as well, along with the, the army of Israel. But you have this massive guy who's hurling insults as the people, to the people of God. Does this sound like anything maybe happening in culture today? Maybe this month? Maybe like... There's a quote from Spurgeon that, that I wanted to put up. Charles Spurgeon um, says this. Um, do we have... Yeah. Anger is never more fiery than when people, the people of God are its objects. Sparks become flames... And the furnace is heated seven times hotter when God's elect or chosen are thrust into the blaze. That's a, a quote from a different period in time. But it's as applicable today that when, when we look at, at what the culture says about God, what the culture says about your faith, my faith, it isn't like, can you consider something else? The culture is completely subversive. It's completely aggressive. It's completely angry. In fact, sometimes it's interesting where a, a small subject can become so fiery so quick, where a simple statement, you've all seen different, uh, I kind of swore off um, uh, Facebook many, many moons ago because I just couldn't take it anymore. But when you scroll through your feed and you find different videos of people being confronted in the way that they might confront a Christian, and the anger and the fieriness that comes through the voice, whether it's through tears or shouting. Are you, are you familiar with some of these videos? Maybe they get passed to you. Anybody? Am I in dangerous waters or something? I can't, I can't tell with you guys this morning. You know? Sometimes you're like, yeah. Other times you're just like, hmm. You know those kind of videos, right? And they, they begin to like, get passed around. and you, It stirs something up. And, and you see like this fieriness just firing at the people of God and the ways of God. It was much like that with Goliath, right? So he's hurling these insults. And I think what I want to turn our attention to is not so much how bad the bad is, but how good God is. How powerful God is in the midst of some things that have never changed. Um, certainly, the culture wave is riding high at the moment. Certainly, the culture wave is like a tidal wave that feels like these torrents that are being spoken of in Scripture that break on you, that you're like, whoa, where do I go? If you've ever been rolled by a wave, you understand what that is, where you just are rolling. You don't know what direction is up or down, and you feel very humble in that moment. You feel very powerless in that moment. And I think that's, that's, that's exactly what we're experiencing. Every day is a new uh, revelation of new legislation or a, a new crazy uh, statement that's being made or a new movement or something that comes our way that we're like, wait, what? So much to the point where we're just like, I don't even hear the noise. Just can't get, me to my, get me to that sanctuary. <laughs> get me to that place where we can see healed and forgiven. Right? Like, that's my spot. David understood this. This psalm helps us to understand what that tidal wave is like because there's a tidal wave of an individual named Goliath bigger than anybody, more powerful than anybody, and he's hurling insults and he's angry and he's mocking. Let's look at Samuel, 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 25. This is after David had 
gotten, you know, picked on by his older brothers. I love that. You got to go back and read it. Maybe I'm reading into it. I, I, I can see the sarcasm. 1 Samuel 17, 25, it says, And David said to the men who stood by, because he had now gotten the briefing, like, hey, none of us are willing to step up, you know, but if you do, you get a really big reward, including the king's daughter, which later you might figure you don't want. But anyways, um, he says, And David said to the men who stood by, What shall be done for this, this man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel, from Israel? For who, my favorite who is this uncircumcised Philistine? I'm just going to leave that alone because I want to say a lot of things right now. And that he should defy the armies of the living God. So who is this guy that he would defy the armies of the living God? Does he have any idea who he's messing with? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done for the man who kills him. And so David's response in this danger was confidence. It was confidence in, who, in a God who was on his side. If God wasn't on our side, what would we do? Hey, God was on his side. By the way, I didn't know if I wanted to get into this, but I'm just going to say it, that God has his side, okay? He doesn't come, like, here's the classic dilemma. I've said this one before. Two Christian high schools are playing football on Friday night. Both of them are praying fervently, God, give us victory. Which one wins? <laughs> right? Joshua, I think it's chapter 5, captain of the host of the Lord's army shows up in battle with a flaming sword. Joshua's like, oh no, are you on our side or theirs? And the response is, great, no. <laughs> Read it for yourself. I'm on neither. I'm the captain of the Lord of the host's army, or captain of the host of the Lord's army. It's a, it was a moment, quite possibly, of seeing Jesus showing up in the, Old, in the Old Testament saying, look, you don't lobby me onto your side through convincing me that you've got the right way. I am the side, right? And so it's important as we're looking at this, especially in our cultural climate, to, be, to, to realize you're not going to talk God over into your political view. You're not going to talk God. In, you're going to walk in the ways of the Lord that are already there for you, plain and clear to see that he has a side. And as we, his people, walk with him, he's on our side because we're on his. Does that make sense? It's an important thing to think through. And so now David, who understands human nature, he understands the tidal wave of what's coming. Verse 36, just kind of skipping through a little bit, he says, after being told what he couldn't do because of his age, because of his size, because of whatever else, how many of you have been told what you couldn't do? Some of us have, and some of us believe that. And yet... God's word shows us that when he's on our side, there's really, we're, we're called more than conquerors. I've never quite 100% understood that. I mean, conquering is amazing, but like more than, right? That there's something in you of the spirit of God that, that the, the spirit of darkness wants to remove your will, your fight, your voice. That's what Jubilee is important. That's why the wrap-up of this psalm is important, that you've been freed from a snare, and, and I'm cutting, I'm, you know, giving my good stuff already. But at the end, you know, a, a little bird can't get out of a snare on its own. It's impossible. It requires something greater than that bird to release it and free it and to break that, that trap. 
And that's what Jesus has done for you. And so for the ones that have been told that you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you, you don't, your voice isn't loud enough or wise enough, or, you know, it's just the overriding lie of Satan throughout time and eternity that just generally you're not good enough. That in Christ, you're more than a conqueror. In him, you've been promised victory. And he's on your side. And you get to partner with him in the kingdom of God in various ways, in various seasons in your life, in various areas where you've been given influence, that there's purpose to who you are. Don't believe the lie. David didn't believe it. He was told he couldn't do it. And he goes, well, let me weigh in. Let me weigh in on what I've been trained for. I don't think David knew what he was being trained for when he was being trained in the secret places, in the quiet places of the pastures looking after sheep all day long. Looks romantic when you're looking at it um, in, in a picture or something. Like, oh, look at that gentle, hilly side. Oh, he's carrying a sheep on his you know, shoulder. Like, you know, it just looks like, whoa, that would be great. It would be a long, drawn-out, difficult job. And so he gives his resume, and he says, Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. And David said, listen to this. This is important, right? Because David's not saying like, hey, man, I can kill bears. I'm really good at it. He knows the source of his strength. He knows what it meant to be filled with the Spirit when he says, and David said, the Lord, everybody say the Lord. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go for it. I'm just kidding. Sorry. Just felt like an action film moment, right? Sorry. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Like, I got to wonder if Saul was like, if you're dumb enough to do it, nobody else will. So go for it, young man. Pray God's with you. Skip back down then to the end of the story in 45 of chapter 17, 1 Samuel. Then David said to the Philistine, You come at me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. Oh, I love this. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Courage. I even feel it stirring in me as I read it. It wasn't courage in his own ability. It was courage in his God. Everything about that young boy didn't match fighting or, or even stepping into the battle with something overwhelming like Goliath or someone overwhelming like Goliath. But he knew who he was. His strength came from the name of the Lord, the God of the armies of Israel whom you've defiled. The end of the story, you know it. You've been around church. You know the story of David and Goliath. It's... it's it's used even as a metaphor for all things in life, not even uh, in, in the Christian world. But David has these three smooth stones, and you know, scholars tell us later that he had three because Goliath had two brothers. Um, I don't know if that's true. It's a little joke. I thought you'd laugh. Anyways, uh, he has three smooth stones. He reaches in with his slingshot that he's good at. He, he's, no matter how good he is at a slingshot, man, I think that the hand of the Lord was on his side, removing the, the enemy from before the nation of Israel. You know, he struck Goliath, and it gets pretty Old Testament gory from there. 
as, they, as he strikes the, the enemy of Israel, um, the entire Philistine army retreats and the armies of Israel chase after them. A different position just like that, right? The turning of the tide just like that. If God were not on their side, can you imagine? It's only up to the imagination to think what would happen if God wasn't on their side. If David wouldn't have shown up, what would that story look like? See, that's what this psalm invites you to do instead of if, where was God? It's uh, if he wasn't there, can you even imagine? Are you catching it this morning? The end of the psalm, the last couple of verses, begins to change its tone, which I think is super beautiful. It, it, It calls the people to ask that philosophical question, so to speak, and then to step back and shift gears. In light of this... In light of God showing up, I mean, generally, I want you guys to think about times. Can you just do that for a moment? Can you think about times where God showed up on your behalf? Can you think about those times um, in sickness where God showed up on your behalf? Can you think of those financial hardships? Can you think of those um, near misses, maybe even uh, tragic occurrences that have happened in your life where you go, man, if he wasn't, if he hadn't shown, can you really just, can you think about that for a moment? You see, that's what they were called to do. And then with that, can you come back to God with just honoring him? And, and the term for that in the Hebrew culture was bless God, right? Begin to bless God. And the psalm, as they're on their journey, remembering his faithfulness, singing along the way, they begin to be called to a place of blessing the Lord. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey into their teeth. That imagery is of, like, monsters, right? It's, in, it's understanding, like, the sea monster or the dragon or something like that. And so this isn't just stuff for children, but to think about the, the grip of darkness that longs to, like, grip you. But God steps in. And blessed be the name of the Lord because those teeth were not able to hold you. It says, who has not given us into the prey of their teeth. And it says, we or our souls have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowler. The snare is broken. That's like a prophetic statement. The snare is broken. If not then, for sure then, as it's God's word, but how much more now through Jesus that the snare is broken. You know what a snare does? It it just continues to tighten the hold. You pull away, that pull gets even tighter. You have to have rescue when you're in a snare. There's not a way to free yourself from the snare. You have to have rescue. And God is our rescue. God is reminding us this morning, no matter how big the tidal wave, no matter how tight the snare, no matter how sharp the teeth, no matter how dark the darkness is of the monsters that long with their teeth to try to dig into you, He is your deliverer. It says that, um, that we, the snare is broken. And I love everything in the Bible is there for a reason, even, even punctuation, that it ends, at least in ESV, with an exclamation point. It says, we have escaped. We've escaped. God is on our side. God is on our side and literally does the impossible for us. That's our God. That's who we're being called to worship. I have this quote I'd like to put up on the screen from Eugene Peterson. He says this. Christians are people who praise God who is on our side. Christians are not pious pretenders in the midst of a decadent culture. Christians are robust witnesses to the God who is our help. 
Christians are not fatigued outcasts who carry righteousness as a burden in a world where the wicked flourish. Christians are people who sing, oh, blessed be God. He didn't abandon us defenseless. Powerful? It's a little bit. You might want to take a picture of it and think about it later. It's a little bit to think about. But it's reminding us of a perspective. It's reminding us of a new frame that we need to see our Christian life through. A life that's victorious in Him. Because you're going to walk outside of these double doors and outside another set of double doors and you're going to flip on the radio and be faced with some more bad news. It's not fatalistic on my part of just saying, oh, it's going to suck after this. I, sorry, I didn't mean to say suck. It's going to stink after this. It, it's not intended for that. It's intended as a, as a reality to go when it does. When it does... What is my filter? What is my frame? What are my lenses? Am I the bird in the snare? Am I in the teeth of the monster? Am I I all flighty, freaked out? Am I a cornered animal? Or am I free to bless the Lord to know that He is still in control and He's still using us and He's not surprised by the turns of events, but He's God with us as we know in Jesus. He is Emmanuel, God with us. It goes on into this last verse, and this is where I want to bring us into a time of application. It says in this last verse, Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. I don't know why, as I read it this time, and I was sharing it with our staff in our staff meeting as well, that when I read it, I just couldn't get away from the name of the Lord, right? We know that that the Bible is filled with... um, with understanding of the character and nature of God, that every time you read God's word, it's a great question, to, two questions to ask. What do I learn about God and what do I learn about myself? Anytime you read scripture, great two applications, questions to ask. And, and the Bible is filled with understanding of our God and even this psalm is unpacking it. He is the God who is the creator. That's the starting point, that if he created all things, he knows how all things are worth, or uh, how all things work, excuse me. But many times um, we can go through a series of study, and some of you may have done this, where you um, discover the Hebrew names of God that are unpacked in Scripture because we read limited through English as we read it, but we understand a God who is um, described as our provider, right? We read a God who is described as our healer, a God who is described as, as our banner, you know, a victory over us, a God who is described as the one who sees. There's nothing, you know, nothing gets past God. Not in a weird Sunday school kind of way of like, don't, don't do anything bad because he's watching, but in a way of God sees all things. Nothing is hidden. So you go through this understanding of, of all um, these attributes of God's character. And one of the things that I read about this phrase, the name of the Lord, it's like the full force of his character and nature. It's all of it, right? That we don't worship, like God isn't sometimes this way and then sometimes that way. You know, like when you need a little extra money, he just becomes Jehovah Jireh for you. Like he is God all the way through. Are you following this? And so in the midst of a cultural tidal wave, in the midst of a personal crisis, in the midst of of an onslaught of fear, anxiety, whatever it is when you turn the TV on, whatever it is when you hear your friend tell you about a new something else that's happening or some crazy story that went on at Target or whatever else, like as as you're going through that, you just go, okay, I don't need to be brilliant in this moment. What I need to do is call upon the name of the Lord. 
I need to call upon the name of the Lord. Why? Because he's my help. And don't be surprised that God doesn't give you a voice. Don't be surprised that God might not give you a a response in a moment, an action to take. But it comes from the source. It comes from the one who set you free. So you don't have to beg God to get on your side. Hey, God, are you aware of what's going on over there? You've got to get on God's side. And as you're on God's side, your eyes are open to the magnitude of who he is. And you're free. You're free and you're untangled, unentangled by fear. And so I, I wanted to invite our worship team to come back. And in the time that we have remaining, I just want to um, sing a, a song to the Lord. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Because the things that I've shared, I think, have resounded by some heads nodding. But, but I want to make it personal to you. That whatever it is that, that you are looking at in your life that feels like a tidal wave. Maybe it's just the onslaught of the cultural nonsense that's occurring in this moment. Maybe it's other things that are, are, are just deep and, and, and quiet inside of your heart that you wouldn't even want to share, but it's, it's, it's there. I want to invite you to call upon the name of the Lord. This psalm invites you into real and vibrant living relationship with God. When something or someone has a name, you have the potential for relationship, right? And so, so you can call someone who has a name. God has a name and he's given his name to you. And he's invited you to call upon his name in, in a way that is so remarkable. Proverbs 18, verse 10. I was sharing with our staff that this song... This, this proverb uh, resounds in my head like a, a song, right? Because um, if, as soon as I say it, if you've been around church for a little while, and if I say the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run to it and they are safe, what do you think of? The name of the Lord is a strong... It's a good neat... I have no rhythm, Brad, so I was like clapping on one beat and tapping on another one. But um, the name of the Lord, it's not just a catchy song, It's a reality from scripture that the name of the Lord is what? A strong tower. It's a fortified place that's high that gives you perspective. And I believe that this is what we need. This is what they needed in that moment. But this is what God is inviting us into. The name of the Lord is a strong tower that the righteous run to and they are safe. And so as we, uh, I'll invite you to stand before the Lord, and, and as we sing, we're not going to sing that song, I, I messed that up for you guys, didn't I? <laughs> um, do you even know that song? We don't have to sing it, I'm just curious, I know it by heart. Yes, okay, so, <laughs> I want to invite you maybe in three ways to call upon the name of the Lord. Number one, do you need to call upon the name of the Lord in the midst of the cultural wave or torrent, right, of Like, I can't take any more bad news. I'm just losing my direction. Do you need to call upon the name of the Lord in order to get safety and perspective to be able to think clearly and respond biblically? Secondly, do you need to call on the name of the Lord for freedom over fear and intimidation, right? This is the enemy's tactic over and over again. Freak him out. Reinforce it. Get them scared, right? What do we know about our God? He gives the power to a little shepherd boy to slay a giant. How much more will he give you what you need? But he's inviting you to call upon his name. And this final one, maybe 
um, in your life you've experienced just kind of the grayness that the sky has been doing over the last couple of weeks. We're like, isn't this California? Like, what? Southern California? Like, what's happening here? But in all serious, maybe there's just a, a looming kind of uh, just darkness, just kind of like, I just feel gray, like Eeyore, you know? Like, I just feel a little gray. Call upon the name of the Lord for the hope and the joy that's promised you regardless of circumstance, whether it's weather, bank account, dangling carrot in your job, whatever it is, call upon the name of the Lord for the hope and the joy promised regardless of whatever the circumstance. So again, cultural wave, victory over fear, and hope and joy. God, we come to you as your children, and you invite us to bless your name, and we do that now. Lord, you remind us that you've always been there and you will always be there. And maybe for us this morning, the question isn't, where were you? But the question is, what would have happened if you weren't there? God, we surrender all this to you. We welcome the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to work in us now. Let's sing to the Lord, respond to him.
we, we honor you as king, king of our hearts, king of your kingdom. We thank you. We thank you for this psalm, an ancient psalm that has absolute real-time application, a timeless truth that is so timely for us. Whether we are in exile or whether we are in this safe and beautiful place, you are our safety. You are our strong tower. And the mission is the same, to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. God, we declare to you as your people that we will continue to walk with you, to walk according to your word and your statutes, to raise our children to fear you and to know your name, to know who they are according to your word, to know that you are the creator of life and the creator of heaven and earth, and that you created them with purpose and a, and a gift and abilities. Lord, we not only commit, God, to train our children and grandchildren and friends in this area, but we commit to live it, God, to live out the truth of your word, to be not just hearers of your word, but doers, to be examples of righteousness through the power of the Holy Spirit, to walk with you day by day, to walk with you in times of peace and to walk with you in times of violence to walk with you in times of hope and to walk with you in times of hopelessness and despair, to run to you because you are our strong tower, to call upon you because you help us. And I speak out blessing over your people now. Would you help them, God? Would you help them in the areas of fear and anxiety? God, would you help them in the areas of navigating this culture? Would you help them in the areas, God, of finding their hope and joy in you. Lord, we recognize there are very real obstacles, but we recognize that in you is the impossible. You do the impossible. You free us from those snares. You break those traps. And that's why we bless your name. God, we bless your name. Thank you, God. We have a little bit of time And I want to sing this song one more time as a declaration of God's faithfulness. And if you have a need of any kind, you have a need that you want someone to stand with you, maybe it's a need for for healing physically, and you're overwhelmed by it, there's no shame or it's not embarrassing to come and ask for prayer, it's a gift, and we want to pray with you. You just need a person to stand with you and, and call upon the name of the Lord with you. I want to invite you as we sing this declaration of God's faithfulness one more time. I want to invite you to, to come up to the front. We'd love to pray with you. But let's sing it one more time. Let's, let's be those righteous people who run to the Lord and find safety in Him.
let it wash over you. Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel say now, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, they then would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. But blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey into their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen and amen. Amen. God bless you.